Welcome to the Tobin School Podcast. This is Mr. Gordon. On this week's episode, I talk with our inspirational assistant principal, Ms. Akamu, about her journey, her hopes for the Tobin School, and of course, Trashy TV. Then I answer some listener questions, and finally, I reveal this week's beard power rankings. I don't want to give too much away, but we got some big moves in the top three this week. Thanks for being here, friends. Before I get into the interview with Ms. Akamu, I wanted to make a quick but important announcement um, for the families in our Tobin community. The Massachusetts Eviction and Foreclosure Moratorium just ended October 17th. If you receive a letter from your landlord asking you to leave your apartment called a notice to quit, that is not the same as an eviction order. Only a judge can evict you. So if you get a letter from your landlord or are otherwise asked to leave, there are a few things you can do. You can visit boston.gov slash eviction dash questions to learn how to sign a declaration to your landlord that says you qualify for protection under the federal moratorium. You could also call the Office of Housing Stability at 617-635-4200. And finally, if you have any issues getting the help you need, please contact the Office of Boston City Councilor Kenzie Bach at 617-635-4225. Kenzie Bach has been a really wonderful advocate for our school community and for our Mission Hill neighborhood as well. Thank you, and please enjoy the interview. Big welcome to our new assistant principal at the Tobin School. Um, not a new face at Tobin School, though, uh, Ms. Akamu. Ms. Akamu taught fifth grade two years ago at the Tobin and then was gone for a year doing some great work, and we are so happy to have her back. So welcome back, Ms. Akamu. Thank you, Mr. Gordon. I'm happy to be back. We are happy to have you. Um, I want to start by asking um, the first question. So last week I spoke with Mr. Toledano about his path that led him to the Tobin. Um, so I would like to ask you, where does your story start and how did it lead you to the Tobin? Oh, that's a good question. So my story actually starts not even in Boston. Um, so I was in Georgia before I came here. So I was in college, I was studying uh, criminal justice, I was studying public health, and a friend of mine kind of convinced me that um, I should start like looking into some potential like programs related to like education because I was then like working with kids and expressing a lot of interest in like, you know, getting into teaching. And at that time I was actually thinking about teaching college students. And they're like, but like you could also teach the younger ones too. Um, and so I got connected to teaching through this organization called Teach for America, um, which helps to um, find like, you know, college graduates, recent college graduates, and helps them kind of get into the field of teaching and does all this, you know, training with them. And so I, um, they, they ask you, like, where would you want to teach if you could? And I listed Boston, D.C., and Atlanta, because Atlanta is where I was living in DC, you know, I felt that was a very cool, fun environment to potentially work in. And, um, and I ranked them all as my number one. And I kind of just like tossed it to the wind and said, like, you all choose, basically. And they chose Boston for me. Um, and so in 2010 is when I packed up from Atlanta and, and made my way up here to Boston. And so I um, landed at a what was then a turnaround school, Orchard Gardens. 
Um, it was sort of the the buzz of the town because we were one of a few schools going through this process of like, you know, they were hiring a bunch of new staff and like, you know, coming in with like a lot of um, programming and funding and, and, you know, leadership and all these different things um, to, to help try to turn that school around and which we, which we did, uh, which was super exciting, but was also like the hardest uh, I think to one of the hardest experiences that you can have as like a first year teacher. Um, and so I stayed there for three years. I was teaching um, fifth grade SEI. Um, I had students who were Spanish speaking. I had um, students who were Cape Verdean, so Cape Verdean Creole. Um, and it was just, it was, it was the most interesting and hard and exciting, um, you know, first years of teaching. And so I was there for the first three years of my career i then um ended up having to kind of deal with a family matter that was going on back home in georgia and so i had to like tell my principal then like listen like i think i'm gonna have to like leave boston so we kind of made all the preparation for me to leave um and and i mean i hired somebody like helped to hire somebody in my new spot and and you know kind of did all my wrap up and all of that with my friends and then on like the day before school ended um is when my mom um had convinced me like you know jess i i don't want you to come back to atlanta for this you know family drama this mess or whatever i want you to stay in boston i love what you're doing there you love what you're doing there so like stay um, and so she convinced me to stay after I'd already kind of given up my, my, my position and my apartment and like a bunch of different things um, that, you know, goes into like moving. And so I ended up having to find a different um, spot, a different job um, if I want to kind of continue in this teaching vein. Um, and so I ended up uh, finding a job at um, the Dudley Street Neighborhood Charter School, which there I taught first grade, which was like world's you know, different from um, from what I had been doing for the previous three years teaching fifth grade. Um, and while I absolutely loved it and I felt like I was like, you know, I grew through that process and I was stretched through that process. Um, I absolutely like missed teaching like the older kids. Like that was like my, my you know, my, my jush, you know, if you will. <laughs> and, I will. So, and so I connected um, after that year of teaching first grade, I connected with some folks over at the Blackstone, which I know um, Mr. Toledano actually has a history there as well. Um, and I ended up spending the next several years at the Blackstone, which was really, really awesome. Got to meet a lot of cool people. That's where I met Mr. Toledano's wife, Stephanie. We were actually on the same team um, and, um, and some other people that, that he knew as well. And so as I was kind of working there for the next four years, I started kind of developing as um, developing like my leadership. So I would like, you know, work with different organizations and different folks, um, developing new teachers, running school sites for, you know, different programming and things like that. And so that's where I started to kind of get the itch to go into school leadership. And so having been at that school for four years um, and had been through two leaders at that point, it was an innovation school, which means that there was certain like liberties and, and different things that were afforded to the school that were like different than a traditional public. And I'm like, okay, if I'm about to go into school leadership, like I need to like really know, you know, like sort of the gamut of like what, you know, a, a school's 
you know, supposed to run like, could run like, like, you know, how does a charter play into that? How does having an innovation status play into that? How does, at the time when I was at Orchard Gardens, it was a pilot school. How does a pilot status play into that? I had never been at a traditional um, public school at that point. Um, so I was like, okay, I can stay here at the Blackstone for one more year and then kind of go into my leadership or I can um, like try to figure out a way to get at least like a year um, experience in a public school before I kind of go into leadership myself. And so that's how I actually ended up at the, to uh, at the Tobin because um, I was like, okay, this is like a traditional public school. It wasn't far from where I was working. Um, and, and it, you know, there was an opening, Toledano and I talked, um, we thought it was a really good fit. And, um, and so that's how I kind of ended up at the Tobin for that year. And I knew going in and, and he knew going in that I would only be there for the year because I was starting a leadership program the year after. Um, but of course, at the close of the year, it was very much like, oh my God, like this was awesome. Like I, you know, met a, you know, phenomenal friends here. Um, phenomenal kids. Oh my goodness. Like I could, I don't, I don't want to shout any of them out because then I miss somebody on the list, but like, you know, got, got to spend a lot of great time with, you know, different ones and time inside the school, outside of school, at the pool, at basketball. I, we went to, what's the place called? Um, what's with the roller coasters out there in, uh, up in New Hampshire or not uh, flags with the other one. Uh, can, can it, can it be late? Canopy, we went to Canopy a couple of, like, you know, you name it, we did it. Um, went to volleyball, like all these different things. And just being able to kind of like, you know, spend time in what I knew was my last year of teaching, like just exploring the world with the kids and like really building relationships that I think were um, meaningful on both sides. And so um, to wrap that up, like I had a blast at the Tobin. And so I spent uh, the last year in my leadership program, I was at, um, uh, they place you at a, at a specific school around. They placed me at um, the Josiah Quincy Elementary School, which is not far from here. It's kind of around the corner um, over there in Chinatown. But, you know, huge school, an amazing um, school leader. Her name is Cynthia. Um, and I kind of spent the year, you know, co-leading that school with her and, and um, leading a lot of um, important work, work around like race and equity, uh, work with, you know, all the different teams there and just like learning a ton about like what it means to be um, a school leader. And so what, and you know, the deal is kind of like you stay there for a year and then you kind of like figure out where you head into that following year. And so, um, you know, when I heard from Mr. Toledano, like as I was wrapping up that year, he's like, listen, like, you know, we might have a, uh, an opening that we can kind of like work to get you back here at the Tobin. I know you loved it here. You know, can we figure out something? I'm like, absolutely, let's figure out something. Um, and so that's how I got invited back to the Tobin, um, stayed in contact with folks, you know, throughout that year. And, and I think that was like really, really helpful to like easing sort of um, my, my reentry back into to the community. So that's how, I, that's how I ended up here and here in this role. We are um, so happy and lucky to have you back. The, the leadership um, program you were part of, you mentioned, I, it was the Lynch leadership, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. So those listeners who don't know, it's a very uh, prestigious program to get into and very exclusive. So um, it is quite an accomplishment that Mr. Kamu got, got into the program and um, ended up, you know, being successful through it and, and getting a job as assistant principal after. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Ms. Kamo, a few, a few moments ago, you mentioned um, those special students that you had at the Tobin a couple years ago. Yeah. Well, I reached out to some of them. 
Um, <laughs> 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 knowing that I was going to have you on the podcast. And so I, I reached out to some of your former students, now seventh graders, and asked yes. them yes. if you could use one word to describe Miss Akamu, what would it be? Oh boy. So, all good, all good. Some of the responses <laughs> I received, I got nice, helpful, cool, organized. Oh. <laughs> uh, what is the best compliment you have ever, ever received? Oh boy. Um, I, so I, so I've been teaching, I had been teaching for nine years at this point. And one of the best compliments is like years later, getting like emails from students from like years ago being like, you know, you were the best math teacher I ever had. I'm like, but you're in like high school now. I'm, I'm imagining all the math teachers that they've been through to then come back and still talk to me and remember my name. Like my name is not easy to remember or spell or anything like that. Um, but to get an email, you know, saying like, I just want to let you know, like you're the best math teacher I ever had. Like stuff like that has happened to me more than I expected. Um, I remember going to, um, I, I pulled up on one of my old campuses and I saw one of my fifth graders from before and like, sh like her face just like mouth wide open, like, oh, oh my God, y'all, it's Missy, it's Missy Carmel. And I felt like, like a mini celebrity, like, you know what I mean? And so just getting that reaction, because I know it could be a ton of different reactions, honestly, like when people see you and, you know, they think back to the time that they had with you and memories that they had with you. And it could, it doesn't have, it's not always all good. Um, it, and you don't always bring like warm memories necessarily with people. And to know that, like, that, you know, seeing me or hearing from me or reaching out to me has like a warm um, memory attached to it. I feel like that's the biggest accomplish accomplishment because I feel like, you, you know, you'll always, you'll, you'll remember like, oh, okay, she taught me math or she taught me what, like whatever, like you, th that's everybody. Everybody's going to teach you something, but um, to be able to connect to like a warmth in the way that you all had a relationship or a warmth in the way that person made you feel or a warmth in, you know, how that person invested in you or show that you were um, valuable to them. I feel like that's the part that lasts. Um, there will always be new math and there will always be new books and new science and new whatever. Um, but those special connections are ones that like, you know, stay with you for a lifetime. So the, that's the biggest com uh, uh, compliment that I can never receive. Sure. And, and not always that there will, there will be more math, um, but a lot, often those like, relationships and connections are a prerequisite for whatever learning is going to take place. Um, so um, yeah. And, and it lasts a lot longer than whatever math lesson you taught that day. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you always appear, Ms. Kamu, like so calm, collected. Um, you know, it, you would, I think, look the exact same way whether your hair were on fire or you like just won the lottery. Um, so, <laughs> so <laughs> and you always seem like you expected whatever had just happened. So um, is, this some, is this just how you've always been or is this something you've, worked at like oh through yoga or, or meditation or anything like that it wasn't yoga or meditation um i but it's definitely something that that i worked at i would say um i grew into this space probably by my fourth or fifth year teaching and so by my fourth or my fifth year i feel like i'd seen enough of things to where i wasn't shocked at all about like different you know different things that would kind of come up um and had just kind of like found a spot where, where, where 
I kind of felt like, okay, you know, a student is in need. A student is letting me know through their own methods of communication that they are in need. My job is to like help them meet that need. Like that's literally like the bottom line. It's like, it's, it's not about like the thing being a shocking thing that just happened or, oh my God, I can't believe that you would say that or do this or whatever. Um, it's really about like coming to understand, you know, through my relationship with that student, what they were trying to communicate mm -hmm. to me in that moment and that it was my job to meet that, that need. Um, and I think that like the classroom relationship piece was like the absolute most important to have in place in order for me to have that disposition. Um, because I would know that like, you know, whether it was something that was said or something that was done, it wasn't against me personally. It wasn't a personal attack. It wasn't, oh, I hate Missy Kamu, so I'm doing this or saying this. It was like, this is the way that I know how to express myself at this moment. And this is the person that I'm counting on to help me kind of get through this. Um, and me on the other side being like, I know that I care about this student. I know that I care about their family. I know that they care about me, that none of this is a personal affront. Um, and so I, I think it kind of like depersonalized some of, um, you know, what could feel like chaos or what could feel like, you know, just unexpected behavior, unexpected things. Um, and I think depersonalizing that was an important step for me um, because it like kind of kept me grounded and like, listen, like this, it has nothing to do with you. And once you kind of like, you know, understand that it has nothing to do with me, it's like my, then my response is not a personal one or one of, oh, I'm so upset about this thing now. It's like, no, we're, we're good. Like, we'll figure it out. Like, that's one of my phrases is like, well, don't, don't even worry about it. We're going to figure it out. Don't mm -hmm. even worry about it. We're going to figure it out. And I think that once students come to like, believe that about you, and you kind of deliver on that over and over and over again. You deliver with consistency. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. Um, they come to believe that. And I think that even they then kind of like start to kind of take a calmer disposition. Like when it's, you know, when it comes time for, for you know, to, to kind of share a need, you know, the next time around. Sure. And I think like that's something as educators, we all deep down know that, you know, often, you know, if a student is acting out in some way that, you know, it's, it's not personal. Yeah. Um, and it's their, their way of expressing a need in that moment. And that's something we all know, but when we're in the moment, it's not always so easy to remember that. Um, yeah. but, but you do, and it's, it's, it's amazing to watch. Maybe it's uh, the, maybe it's the, I, I maybe the, the breathing and, and all that maybe is seeped in. I don't think <laughs> I go out of my way to do meditation or yoga or anything like that, but yeah, there are definitely some breaths involved and <laughs> so like taking time. I'm not afraid to be like, listen, I need a second. Like, let me, give me a second. I'm a process. Um, and, and even giving that to students, like, I think you need, you might need a second to process. So I'm going to give you a second. Like, I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to give you some space. Um, I'll take time and I'll take space because there's like literally nothing that can be resolved when there are like two hot heads like in there at that moment. And, um, and it's like, if I can't be the cooler head and you can't be the cooler head, I think we need a second. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, it's not always easy to recognize in the moment that you need that minute to process. Yeah. Um, especially as a, for, for our young people, you know, that's, that's kind of like a meta self-reflective thing that, that you kind of have to learn. Yeah, um, for sure. So we've talked about um, some of your successes um, and it's easy to, to look at a successful person and assume that they've always had successes, mm -hmm. but we all know that's not true. We all go through our speed bumps. We all have failures. Mm -hmm. What is your biggest failure? Whew, I would say, I think my first three years of teaching were successful in a lot of ways, except for um, 
me like really being able to I was so inflexible like as a first second third year to their year teacher and I think part of it is just like culture too like the culture of that time and it was a turnaround school and there was like a lot of demand and a lot of like you know get you know we got to get this right we got to you know get these numbers or like whatever um and I think the demands you know I, they came from they came from a place that felt reasonable at that time but I think that that influenced like how I then showed up sometimes in the classroom where where I personally was inflexible with the way that I was dealing with kids very like my way highway um, and I wasn't necessarily always mean um, or super strict of, like about the way I presented my way highway, even though it was still my way highway. Um, and it wasn't until I would say like my fourth and fifth year that I like kind of came around as like, no, it's not like you're not always like the like the end all be all or you don't have all the answers or it's not like, you know, if they do they don't do it your way, then, you know, then, then it all goes out the door. It's like, I, I feel like I have to grow into a flexibility. And maybe that's just like with, you know, as you grow, you know, as an educator in general, like you, you kind of gain more confidence, you know, in, in like what you're able to bring to the table. And with that confidence, your desire to like hold on to power or your desire to like, oh, it has to be my way or else, like that can go down because you, you do feel more confident about what you're doing. So it's not, you know, overcompensating, you know, in one area to, you know, for another. Um, I think that my, that shift for me was very much around like, so I, I kind of like enter with, with, with one of two things. We're going to do the thing that I want to do, but do it on your terms, or we're going to do the thing that you want to do, but do it on my terms. Mm -hmm. And that way there, it allows for a lot of compromise and like how we get stuff done like in class and in school so it's like it's never like both parties feeling like they're giving up what it is that they're trying to accomplish it's like no we can accomplish what we both want to accomplish and like also give a little bit in this relationship too so that flexibility I feel like is the biggest growth area that I had my first three years that I that once I shifted I was able to see like results with kids that you know that that people had told me like oh like you know it's been hard to move this particular kid or it's been hard to move this particular class or you know different things being difficult um i think that that was a big part of the reason why i was able to see like shifts you know in ways that i think were really important yeah i love that so looking at it that way like do things on your terms but or do what you want to do but on my terms or do what i want to do on your terms yeah um that's a great way of looking at things um your former fifth grade students who are now in seventh grade would be around 13 years old, I believe. So um, if you could speak to your 13 year old self, Ms. Akama, what would you tell her? Seventh grade. Okay, I have to think. Okay. So when I was in seventh grade, I, so as a kid, I actually moved a ton like in school, like I, it wasn't until I was in the 11th grade that I'd actually spent consecutive years in the same school. So first grade was different than my second grade, different than my third, fourth, like, um, so a lot of seventh grade or any of those years around that time, it's, it's always about, you know, trying to like, kind of come to understanding with like your own personal identity, like, who are you as a student? Like, what, you know, what do you want to be or what do you want people to perceive of you? And I think that it was difficult for me at that time, just having jumped and jumped and jumped. Um, it was almost like getting to recreate myself every time. 
oh, now I want to be, now, this year I'm going to be the quiet student. This year I'm going to be the loud, funny student. And this year I'm this student. And I think that if, if, I had, if I had the privilege of being able to talk to myself at that time, it's just like, stop trying to change who you are based on like, like who you think is going to receive you. Um, be that person and be consistent and, they, and like who is, who needs to receive you will receive you and then who doesn't need to receive you, receive you doesn't deserve to be in, you know, that important in your life anyways. Um, and so I feel like to my 13 year old self was just like, stop, you don't have to be a different person for different groups. Um, it was something that I kind of, at that time, prided myself on like, oh, I can get along with this group of kids, but then I can also get along with that group of kids or like whatever. And I'm like, you know, putting myself first, I think would have been important too, you know, just with my own identity developments, like you don't have to change for who, who you're with at that time, whether, you know, and, and just be consistent and true to yourself. And I think that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. As we know, it's not always easy in middle school when, you know, number one, most important thing is, is peer acceptance. And mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, it's easy to kind of lose sight of who you are when you're trying to, you know, adapt to what's around you. Um, come June, when we look back on this school year, what is one thing you want to be able to say that we accomplished here at the Tobin? Um, oof, a lot of things. I think the one, one sort of overarching theme that I hope ties all of our work together is really like our growth and our progress in this um, journey towards being anti-racist as a school. Um, I think that everybody in this school we have such talented educators here students here like everybody is like very very like thoughtful this is a great community i think that everybody is also kind of in um a, wherever they are like in their journey towards like being anti-racist in the way that we just kind of carry ourselves whether it's as educators or as like people like in general um we're we're kind of all entering the work at different spots and um, even like part of part of my work coming into the school community at the beginning is I asked several different educators, like, where do you feel like you are or where do you feel like, like our school is like in this journey? And I think overwhelmingly um, what seems to be like a good sort of goal or to like know if we've moved ahead is if we move from sort of like this, this spot of like awareness and um, caring about race and equity um, as an idea and into this spot of like, um, like activity, like um, I, what's the word uh, that I'm looking for? Like action um, or application, I think it's the word that might kind of show up on, on, on some of the graphics that I've used with them, but like this space of like moving from awareness to application. Um, and so it's like looking, like going out on purpose, looking for opportunities to make something more equitable, going out on purpose, looking for opportunities to make something anti-racist. And so, you know, we'll, we'll be having a lot of conversations as a staff. Students are a part of these conversations as well. Families are a part of these conversations as well. Um, and knowing that like, we're all kind of like moving in that direction and like looking, like going out on purpose, like looking for opportunities to be better in those areas. I think that that will, um, that will be a good goal. You know, if, if, if we see that by the end of the year, I will know that like we've made significant gains in that area. Yeah. And that's something that you've really been kind of how you've been framing a lot of our discussions just as a staff and through our professional development is, um, asking us to consider how, how this policy or this practice may, uh, disproportionately affect, um, 
this population of students or this this group of families and um it's it's so important to sort of reframe our thinking and be looking at th things through this anti-racist lens mm -hmm. so um thank you for for putting us in that in that mindset and for kind of keep you know continuing to guide us back back through that lens absolutely um if I know you, let's see, we've been talking for about half an hour, Mr. Kama, and you were like, Mr. Kama was so nervous to come on. You were like, let's cap this at like 20 minutes. I was like, ah, let's get to half hour. So I know, I know we're at that half hour limit. Um, one thing I want to ask you, I guess a couple things. One more thing I want to ask you is um, if you have any book, music, movie, TV show recommendations for our listeners out there. Oh my goodness, all of the books and TV shows. Um, I, so I have very eclectic taste. So it depends on what the intent is behind this. Like I, I'm good for like looking at like absolute trash TV just to like be like, I don't have to be so intellectual <laughs> at every moment of my day. So I'm not beneath looking at <laughs> like silly stuff. Um, you can say, you can say Real Housewives if that's where you're going. It's, it's very no, much no shame in that. It's very much along those lines. So I think my, the, 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 the trash TV that's come back up uh, this season recently is like The Bachelorette. So I like look at that. Mm -hmm. um, but then on the other side, I, I'm like always into like, you know, super intellectual things. And so one of the pieces that I've been actually watching recently is called Lovecraft Country. Um, and I think it's, I want to say it's on HBO. And um, it is the most fascinating piece of work that I've, I've seen. I know Jordan Peele is a part of the team mm. and some other folks um, that have produced this, but it's, it's, it's race, it's history, it's um, science fiction. It's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff kind of like wrapped into like one amazing piece that is very difficult to describe, but I, I absolutely love it. Um, my sister actually put me on to it. So that's something I've been watching lately. I've been listening to, I think it was Ms. Gaffney that put me on to um, Nice White Parents, which is a podcast. Um, I just finished that one up um, today, actually. Loved it. Um, and, um, you know, as far as books, um, We Want to Do More Than Survive is one of my favorites by um, Dr. Bettina Love, um, really about like, you know, what it means to be an abolitionist in teaching. Um, and so those are so, so those are a couple of the pieces that are kind of like high um, on my mind right now. Great, thank you. Lovecraft Country. I mean, you had me at Jordan Peele. Like anything he does, I'm I'm in. So I'll definitely I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, that and The Bachelorette. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't my, say that. I cannot say the same for The Bachelorette. My interest like literally spin from like Bachelorette to like Dexter to like Succession. To, to love succession um i don't i don't know if i could say it on it but there's it's creek Do you oh know? yeah yeah okay creek. <laughs> gotcha like, like i'm all over the place i'm literally all over the place like you uh, uh it's it's truly you know when we talk about self-care and stuff like that like i know it's 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 the the walks and the oh i like to cook and i like to this and that or whatever i like to to get caught up on like a nice little show or like whatever like i feel like that's also a part of self-care too because it just really gives you a second to like not like to have other things at the center of your mind because sometimes our work is incredibly heavy especially you know um the, like the work around this pandemic and 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 thinking about all the needs that are out there and all the the things that we have to focus on, like every once in a while being able to like take your brain off and be like, 
you know, I, I, hope, I hope she gives him the rose today. You know, <laughs> like that's some, you know, sometimes I just like need that, that, um, that escape. And so I, I feel like my, my interests are eclectic for that reason. Um, and also like low key, like I also need to know like who in our community like watches some of these other shows too, because there's nothing better than like being able to like talk to people like, did you see who Claire picked? And like, <laughs> and not feel judged, you know, for that. So, so if you're out there and you're listening, yeah. you watch Bachelorette or some of these other silly shows, definitely reach out and let me know. Well, if you're looking for some, for a partner to talk trash TV, Miss Gaffney is, is, is your, is your person, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. She- <laughs> Um, so before I let you go, Ms. Akamu, um, I know you're, you're very busy. Do you have any, any questions for me before you, you hop off or for the um, audience if, yeah. or, or anything you'd like to see in the podcast going forward? Yeah. I want to know, um, what is the, the, the woman equivalent, equivalent to your beard, um, competition? Oh, good question. Boy. That's a really good question. I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm listening. Give me your ideas. I don't want to be exclusive. You're right. It is kind of exclusive. I'm just doing the beard power rankings. I mean, not to say that we can't, you know, can't grow a, a beard. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's silver still going, if we're going with hair, with the theme of hair, mm-hmm. maybe something with the hairstyles or, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'm that creative. If there's something out there, I'd love to, love to, to see. maybe it's that, maybe it's a, uh, these these trash tv shows <laughs> <laughs> well listeners out there send in your ideas like if what whatever you want is the equivalent for the the beard power rankings um i'm listening if you have any ideas send them in yeah Can't all wait. right all right well mr kama this was really fun thank you for carving out the time and right. i know i know our listeners are um eagerly awaiting to hear to hear you on the podcast so thanks so much Thank you so much. I appreciate being here today. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. It's mailbag time, the segment when I answer questions from our listeners. This week's first question comes from our fabulous fourth grade teacher and my dear, dear friend, Miss Sandy. Hello, Mr. Gordon. This is your friend, Miss Sandy. I've always been curious about the Tobin School building and wondered when it was built, what brought about its construction, and did it always look like it does today? Thanks for the question, Miss Sandy. Um, The Tobin School was built in 1959 on one acre of land. And from the research I've done, there don't seem, haven't seemed to to have been many renovations, major renovations anyway, since then, which is kind of surprising. Um, just from my memory in the time I've been at the Tobin, I remember about nine or 10 years ago, there were some minor renovations. They put in uh, the skylights, which are in the main lobby and in some of the classrooms on the top floor. Uh, the exterior of the school has gone through some changes over the years. Most recently, uh, those beautiful murals on the exterior of the school were done by local artists Caleb Nealon and Victor Quinones. Um, the graphic I use for the podcast, so wherever you listen to the podcast, that graphic you see is actually one of those murals on the outside of our school. And um, one of the murals, another one of the murals on the outside of the school 
was named um, in one of the uh, top 50 best public works of art in the greater Boston area by WBUR. So we are fortunate, we are lucky that when we come to school every day, we have these beautiful works of art awaiting us. Uh, thanks for the question, Miss Sandy. Hey, Mr. Gordon, this is Coach Sam. Uh, I have a question for you, and uh, here it is. Let's say, hypothetically, that you are making a hip-hop song. I want to know which three teachers from the Tobin you are recruiting to be on the track with you. You can have them each do one individual verse. You can have two people do a verse, one person do a hook. But I want to know if you are if you are the main artist on this song and you are going to get three features, which three teachers are you going to pick? And then tell us, you know, briefly why you would pick that person. I right, thank you. Coach Sam, what a creative question. Um, I don't know how you thought of that, but I love it. Thanks for sending it in. So I'm going to break your rule a little bit, and I'm not just going to stick to teachers for my hip-hop jam. Okay, so um, I'm going to have two teachers and then one student. The first teacher I would recruit for my hip-hop song would be Miss Ogara. Uh, let me tell you why. Miss Ogara has just such a strong voice, powerful voice. Um, I don't know about like her MC abilities, but when you hear her voice, you listen. So I feel like having Miss Ogara on the track would really uh, catch the listener's ear and um, make you want to listen. Second, and this is going to surprise a lot of you, I go with Mr. Holly. A lot of you don't know this, but Mr. Holly is a classically trained guitarist. Um, shout out to Mr. Holly, who's on parental leave right now overseas helping care for his baby daughter. So Mr. Holly, if you're listening, uh, I would recruit you to come up with some sort of catchy hook, um, guitar, guitar hook in the background. And number three, I'm going to go with a student, fourth grader Max. So last year when Max was in third grade, he wrote and recorded um, just a really awesome rap about um, racial justice and and um, everything that was going on with, with George Floyd and current, current events. And Max, with the help of a friend, recorded a rap that he had written, and it was fantastic. So I know Max has some MC skills, so I would, I would definitely have Max on as my third member of my hip-hop track. Thanks for the question, Coach Sam. Hi, Mr. Gordon. This is Miss Harvey. I've always wondered, what is it like having Ray Allen and all of those fans staring at you in your room? Great question, Miss Harvey. Um, a little background for the listeners. My classroom um, is the computer lab that was donated by Ray Allen and his Ray of Hope Foundation. It was donated about 10 years ago. And so the classroom walls are just like plastered with giant images of Ray Allen um, and some other Celtics, but like he is very prominent. So um, it's not bad walking in every day and like saying hi to Ray Allen. Um, if I could choose a Celtic to be plastered on my walls and that I would be looking at every day, especially from that championship team, I'd have to go with Garnett. Just imagine 
like how amped I would be walking into class every day and seeing just KG staring down at me, like with that motivating look. He was an intense dude. So like, I feel like if I walked into my classroom and saw KG staring at me from the walls, I would be like, all right, I'm going to teach the best I've ever taught today. And I'd be super motivated. Um, but Ray Allen's fine. And Ray Allen did donate that uh, computer lab. So thanks for sending in the question, Ms. Harvey. time for everyone's favorite segment and by everyone I mean me it's the beard power rankings uh, this is when I rank the strength of the beards at the Tobin school and it makes me laugh every time uh, this week for two weeks in a row in the top spot we have Mr. Toledano just a serious hipster beard going on right now and Mr. T is just gonna I think have a stranglehold on that top spot unless he decides to shave number two this week up one spot in the rankings is Mr. Zimmerman. Mr. Z has just a really neat, distinguished, almost professor professorial beard going on right now. Um, I have also dropped down a spot to number three, um, and let me tell you why, it's kind of sad. Uh, last week I was teaching seventh grade, and my man Demarcus, just straight up in the Zoom call, was like, Mr. Gordon, I can see the grays in your beard. You gotta do something about that. So, you know, we keep it real with the Tobin and DeMarcus kept it real with me and my grays and my beard. So that dropped me down a spot. So I'm number three this week. Number four, we have Mr. Patrick. Number five, we have Coach Sam. Uh, I don't know if Coach Sam is trying to grow something or I think maybe he's just a little too lazy to shave, but Coach Sam's also like, you know, really young. He's got a little stubble, it's kind of cute. So um, Coach Sam, number five. And then number six, as always, with a face smooth as butter, Mr. Paremba. Tune in next week to see if we have any changes. Thanks to my guest, Miss Akamu. Thanks to Miss Sandy, Coach Sam, and Miss Harvey for sending in those great questions. If you have a question you want to send in, uh, I'd love to get some student voices on the podcast in the future. So students out there, if you have any questions for me, just reach out and I will let you know how to make that happen. Um, also, if you have any ideas for the equivalent of the beard power rankings to be more inclusive of folks in, in the community who cannot grow beards, if you have any ideas, please send them in. I'm listening. And finally, November 3rd is the election. So go vote. Students, please remind your grown-ups to go vote. Very important. And that is it. Thank you for listening. Until next time, be safe, be kind, be you. I love y'all.